So this door here was the secret stairway to Alexander Pantages' <gasps> penthouse. Who was that? Alexander Pantages built the theater. He built about 200 theaters across the United States. And he was, you know, the premier impresario showman for vaudeville. And then Mr. Pantages was accused of sexual harassment. Actually, he was accused of rape mm -hmm. by a chorus girl. And it was a big, lurid trial that was on the front page of the L.A. Papers every day for a long time, and he was ruined. It sat here empty for years, but I guess then it became like an actual apartment that someone lived in for years and years and years before this building was converted into total commercial, and it became our ticket call center. So somebody yeah. was just living here alone in a yeah. in a one hundred percent haunted building. <laughs> you got it. You got it. Yeah, there, there's an exit on the fourth floor of the office building. Yeah. yeah. Hello, Heather Knight, and welcome to our Secrets of the Orpheum Theater episode. You just heard Scott Walton giving us the tour of the Orpheum secret apartment of creepy Alexander Pantages. It's 100% haunted. I learned so much in this episode. Me too. My favorite new piece of trivia is that the men's bathroom at the Orpheum Theater has a secret door that leads upstairs to this little room where people control the spotlights on a stage. And shockingly, I had never been in the men's bathroom at the Orpheum Theater. So I have been in that bathroom, but I did not know there is a secret door in the back. We're learning so much in these secrets episodes where people give us tours of cool places in San Francisco. Like, I've been to shows at the Orpheum, look straight up, there's all those lions there, you see the heads. There are also lion butts. We, we went up to the very top <laughs> of the theater, and they showed us that they actually have like bottoms and tails too, which blew me away. Um, I don't know why more people don't listen to this podcast. because <laughs> We are giving so much valuable information. Apparently, um, artisans used to work in such a detailed way that even if they knew that people would only see the front half of the lions, the back half of the lions that are completely hidden are just as, let's just say, just as accurate. But we don't just talk about lion asses in this episode. <laughs> this is a full tour of the Orpheum. We talk about the history. We talk about the shows that are coming up. And we talk a little bit about what's going on. Uh, Orpheum and the Golden Gate are both theaters that are in the Tenderloin and existing in that space, too. We just cover a lot here. And I thought our guests were really thoughtful and fun. And I learned a lot. Yes, after learning all about lion butts, we moved to the dressing room where we recorded the rest of our interview with Rainier Coners, the managing director of the theaters, and Scott Walton, the communications director for Broadway SF. They have a ton of information about what's ahead in the San Francisco theater scene, more history of the Orpheum, and lots of other interesting stuff about the neighborhood. Yeah, I, I can't wait to get back. Um, Hades Town is playing there as we're talking. I remember seeing, I believe, Picasso at the Lapin Agile. I probably pronounced that wrong, uh, decades ago on a, on a bad date, uh, up until Hamilton. I saw Hamilton there and always loved the theater, but I love it more now, and I can't wait to go back because there's so much cool stuff there. Are you a regular at the at the Orpheum, Heather? Um, I've seen Hamilton there twice, and I've seen um, with my sons Aladdin and The Lion King, and I'm sure I've seen other musicals and plays there over the years. Um, always love going there. Yeah, well, you're all going to learn a lot more about the Orpheum. I'm Peter Hartlob here with Heather Knight. 
Gonna say lion butts one more time just to make Heather laugh. <laughs> and this is Total SF. Thank you very much. Welcome to Total SF, Scott Walton and Rainier Cooners. Hi. Thank you. We are sitting in a dressing room at the Orpheum Theater. I don't know exactly where we are. I got lost. Where We're are we? We're in one of the uh, chorus dressing rooms oh. where a large number of people could be making themselves up at the same time. <laughs> Have you ever recorded a podcast here? You're the first. Yay. This is definitely first. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> we like to be the first. So um, tell us about the opening of the Orpheum. It's nearly 100 years old. When did it open? How did it all get started? Yes, the Orpheum opened in 1926, so it is nearing 100 years old. It was built by Alexander Pantages as part of the Pantages chain, which was all across the country, and some of the most beautiful uh, movie palaces that still exist today were part of the Pantages. Of course, Mr. Pantages ran into a problem. He was uh, sued by a chorus girl who accused him of sexual misconduct. Actually, she said that he raped her, and it went through a long and terrible uh, front page headline trial that ended up with Mr. Pantages being ruined and selling his stakes to the RKO chain, uh, the RKO Orpheum chain, and it became the Orpheum. Got it. And you just gave us a really incredible tour of some of the behind the scenes spots. My favorite was when we went through the men's bathroom and found a secret passageway. Tell us what that goes to. Yes, every theater has its own moaning myrtle moment. <laughs> and here in the men's room, you can go up to not only where our follow spot operator uh, is, which means if you're a female follow spot operator, which we have on many, many shows, you got to get up there before the men start arriving to the theater and also to an area further up where you can walk around on catwalks looking out over the auditorium through all of the intricate uh, plaster work that was made to our ceiling basically is a hanging ceiling a fake hanging ceiling yeah we got to see that and so when you're sitting in the beautiful red chairs to watch a play and you look up you're not actually seeing the ceiling it go the building goes far beyond that that's correct. You're seeing a facade. Right. With lions. <laughs> With lions. <laughs> it, it was a really interesting tour because you're giving us a tour and you're like, we're going to show you the Orpheum. I'm super excited. I love old theaters. And you said, first, let's start at the bathroom. And then we got in the bathroom and I'm like, yeah, it's a pretty standard bathroom, you know, and then, and, but then there's a secret door there. And then it was like, we're in Narnia. So this place is just fantastic. Yeah, all these theaters have so many secrets and secret histories. I also showed you a door that took you up to what was once the penthouse apartment for Mr. Pantages. Mm -hmm. And who knows how many showgirls were up there with wow. him, too. Oh, boy. Yeah. And then, Rainier, you showed us the stage, which is way bigger than you can tell that it is from the seats. Yeah, I think so. I think these theaters over the years, you know, the shows that come into these theaters have, be have become so much more complex and so much more spectacular, both in terms of what they look and sound like, but the actual technical requirements of getting these shows um, to look as good as they do. So we've always had to make sure that we invest enough in these spaces to keep them state of the art and to keep them the right size and expand where possible and all of that to make sure that we keep that we can keep entertaining these big shows. Yeah. Well, we've lost other theaters on Market Street, most notably the Fox. I write a column about that like every week, um, but this is still here. 
I'm wondering about the Orpheum. I mean, how close has this theater come to being demolished over the years? What do we owe to its survival? Well, the theater was closed for quite a while in the 70s, as was the Golden Gate. Uh, both theaters had tried to make a go of it in terms of first large stage shows. And when those started to peter out more in the 60s, they tr hoped that they could become television studios. KGO had their first broadcast at the Golden Gate, for instance. And then they looked to Cinerama and movies. And when everyone left for suburbia, the theaters eventually closed. In fact, the uh, theater manager for the Orpheum said, there are no good pictures <laughs> anymore. They're just filled with sex and violence. And that's why no one's coming. And so they did close. And really, they owe their life to the company that's now known as Broadway, S, Broadway SF. The, uh, the original uh, founders of that company looked and said, these would be great for these touring Broadway shows uh, that are trying to come to San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And the first production that happened here in the Orpheum was ACT actually took it over to present the national tour of hair in 1970. So not only was it a great way to come back, but it was current with, with what was happening uh, on the stage. I think of these cities as well. Every city that I've worked in as part of, as part of my sort of career in history have always, always gone through this phase around 60s, 70s where these buildings sort of somehow end up empty. And it really is down to the passion both of the communities that they reside in or the people that own these buildings to sort of keep them alive. And I think that's why unfortunately we've lost some theatres and that's why we're very lucky that we've still got the Orpheum and the Golden Gate in the current. For well, that well, the Fox, the people voted it down. And the idea was that, you know, in the 60s, early 60s, they're thinking this thing's obsolete. No one will want it. What they didn't realize is that, you know, Bill Graham and, and the live theater community would come and save a lot of these grand theaters along market. Um, I found actually the, our Chronicle article from when the Pantages opened. I'm going to just read the lead for you here um, from Chronicle critic George C. Warren. Market Street was lighted for a block with festival lamps. There was a great crowd in the street watching the limousines unload their groups of richly furred women and well-dressed men and the visiting movie stars who were later to make an appearance on stage. Um, it was it was called a, a, by our critic a place where common people can be lifted out of the ordinary world, and uh, built for a million dollars. It was a twenty million renovation that reopened it, so that's the money, how things change. But in the beginning, vaudeville house. Um, there might be a dog act followed by a juggler, followed by some music, followed by a film, and you just show up and just kind of watch it cycle through. Um, that's back in nineteen twenty six. I'm curious, like, as we're walking through, I almost felt like, you know, the bones of that were, were still here. How much of this is original? Those lions, are those the original lions? How much of when you're sitting down and seeing that ornate work in this theater is original? Yeah, the, the, the Orpheum, this is, this is before um, the Abbasa Theater took over, a group took over. They did go through sort of a regular amount of, um, of refurbishments over the year. I think the uh, what we always try to do in these buildings, we try to keep all of the front of house as original as it can be, mm -hmm. and all of the back of house as up to date as it can be, so it can house all of these big shows. But I think here at the Orpheum, particularly in the auditorium, you'll, most of it is is still pretty original. And 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 the lions, I got to ask about the lions. I mean, I've I've been in this theater and sitting back and just looking up at them. How many are there? What do they look like up top? I think you told me that there's, there's a full lion up there, more than we can see. 
it's one of my favorite stories about the theater. So there's about, well, Scott just taught me actually, there's about 150 of them up there and they're all full bodied. So as an audience member, you probably never get to see more than the head and maybe the, maybe the top part of the body. But knowing when you can go up there, you can see the full line, including the tail, makes it a pretty, uh, a pretty spectacular point, I think. And you were talking about uh, how the various stage shows, and you know, at the very first opening night, do you know who the main attraction celebrity was? I believe it was Sid Chaplin. Sid Chaplin. Charlie Chaplin's half-brother. Exactly. Whoa, how did you Along know that? Along with <laughs> Rin Tin Tin. Rin Tin Tin. on Jeopardy. That's a much bigger star, Rin Tin Tin. Tell that to Sydney. <laughs> Our Chronicle article talks about all of the celebrities who were showing up, and then there's just a line at the very end that, that says um, uh, that the um, uh, celebrities were there and they were to make a presentation, but the deadline was midnight, so we don't know which celebrities spoke there. For all we know, you know, the biggest stars were there. Maybe Rin Tin Tin gave a presentation, we don't know. A PowerPoint. <laughs> so tell us about the more modern history from the 1970s forward. What are some of the highlights of this theater? In 1979, Broadway SF purchased the building and did a heavy restoration. And since then, it's been nothing but a cavalcade of stars and long-run musicals and first-run musicals. One of the things that I've learned in this industry, the Broadway touring industry, is it's that the Orpheum is a desired theater. This is where people want to come and they want to play because they love how big the theater is, how big the backstage area is, and how loving the San Francisco audience is. So this theater has seen um, everyone from what well, we just had Hamilton here for over two years uh, playing to pretty much sold out houses. In fact, during the pandemic, Hamilton was still here. The sets and costumes sat right on stage uh, because we thought we were doing a matinee and an evening performance. And after the matinee, the show was canceled. Everyone assumed like everywhere else mm -hmm. for a few weeks. And so all of that sat here for two wow. years. And then the cast came back and picked up right where they left off and and went. Um, some other notable uh, shows that have played here was the Wicked premiere. Phantom of the Opera played here for a very long time. This was the local premiere of Miss Saigon. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, one of the first shows to play here was Yul Brenner starring in The King and I, followed by Carol Channing in Hello, Dolly. It was a different era back when the original stars would tour with their shows. Mm -hmm. uh, we also saw Robert Preston in The Music Man play here. And just a long line of people who, I have to say, were mostly before my time with Broadway SF. We'll be right back after this short break. During the pandemic, when you described all the Hamilton stuff being left there, how often were people coming into the theater to check on things, or was it completely empty that whole time? I think we sort of once a week, someone would just come and have a walk around to make sure that everything was still fine and there was no no leaks and no other things that sort of looked out of the ordinary. I mean, we had our team upstairs, so we've got some offices upstairs as well, and our audience services team were there day in, day out, helping with the rescheduling of all the performances and making sure that our members, et cetera, were looked after. But the theater itself was a pretty, a pretty eerie place for mm -hmm. about two years. Yeah. yeah. 
there was a point about six months in where my friend who plays George Washington called me and asked me to come into his dressing room to pick up a few of the notes and cards somebody had sent him because he'd never had a chance to respond to them. And uh, someone had come in at that point and cleaned out flowers and food mm-hmm. and, and all of those things. But basically, no one was here. And I think you could, first we thought it's two weeks. Go home, have a holiday. Two weeks, come back and we'll pick it up. And then two weeks became a month. It became six months and then a year. And then at some point, we just thought, oh, God, this building is actually shut now for a bit. Yeah. So how do we look after the theater whilst it's shut to make sure that the show is still looked after, et cetera, et cetera. And what was it like when being back on stage for the very first time after that? I'll never forget the moment. For us, it was such a lovely moment that we managed to open with Hamilton. When Governor Newsom decided back in June, I think, that the state was going to reopen again, we had the opportunity to present Hamilton for another four weeks, I think we did. I saw it. Uh, but I, I must it. tell you, that first that first performance for everyone, you could see it in the, in the company on stage, but the ushers front of house, the managers, the box office people, the stage crew, you know, all these guys have, uh, it's been a tough two years, mm-hmm. of course. Uh, for us as an industry as well, I think we were the first one to close down really, and probably one of the last ones to really fully reopen. And you could really feel that energy. So it was a pretty, um, a pretty special night. Yeah. It was also really special because Hamilton gave us permission to make it a night for first responders. So we had about 1,100 hospital workers, policemen, firemen, the clean teams from the Civic Center, and just people really who had been putting themselves out there for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we wanted point. to say so a big it was very emotional. That's yeah, great. For sure. You know, you gave us this wonderful tour and so much of the operations seemed to be, I, I don't know, just like almost connected to the theater. And when you're working here, do you do you poke your head out there? Do you run into cast members? You know, how kind of intimate is it working here as opposed to the people who are, are putting on the production? You know, what I love about this this industry is exactly what you just described. You know, it's such a community. And for here, we're lucky enough for most shows come here for four weeks. Like sometimes they, some venues, they stay a week, a week at a time. But because we've got them for four weeks, we've got the real opportunity to build up some cool relationships with these guys. Mm -hmm. So it's nice. You know, we are a community. We see each other every day and we speak to each other every day and we go out for dinner and drinks together. And then we're here when our audiences are here. You know, it's a, um, it's a cool place to work. Yeah. And Scott, you were telling us before we hit the record button about how you would just take a break from your office work to go watch like Thomas Jefferson on stage. Or... Well, yes, exactly. Uh, I was telling you that uh, the office buildings, bathrooms essentially are on the same alley as the theater. So if you go to use the restroom, you can hear what's going on on stage. So I'd be, oh, oh, it's Thomas Jefferson's entrance. <laughs> this is such a great moment. And I'd run downstairs and watch 10 minutes. And the other great advantage of being right here literally is, is that I do work so much with the cast, and we also do so much with the community, bringing the cast into the community to uh, to meet nonprofits and help out at St. Anthony's and stuff. That my trip to communicate with the cast is only down a flight of stairs. Yeah, it's not right. running across town and trying to make all these other things happen. Yeah, yeah. I, I was digging through the the all of our old articles, and I found a Carol Channing quote from the '90s. But she's talking about when she was a little girl. She came here when she was a very small girl. She actually uh, came to the Chronicle too. Her uncle worked there. Um, she dropped by the Chronicle once, and we showed her photos and had a wonderful conversation. But I, her quotes: uh, "I loved that theater." 
The ladies' room was so beautiful. It had a foyer, foyer with uh, gold Rococo stuff around the mirrors. That alone was worth the price of admission. <laughs> um, but I think about that. I mean, she was a small girl and went on to become Carol Channing, and maybe the next Carol Channing's coming through here now. And, you know, she went on to become an usher at the Curran Theater oh. and, uh, and then eventually brought her one-woman show to the Curran as well, which was kind of a great... The great yeah. finale for her career. Yeah, well, R.I.P. R. Carol Channing. I think it would have been cool if the secret passageway was in the girls' bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> well, it shows you, though, that in the 20s, they never thought <laughs> there might be a female follow spot operator right. at some point. But yeah, exactly. we're very proud that we've had an integrated stage crew ever since 1926, when Bill Ham was the first integrated man, and that even now we have women production director, women, uh, head electricians at all three theaters. And, you know, it's a much more diverse world. Mm -hmm. Well, you're here right in the thick of mid-market, which is a neighborhood that's had its ups and downs over the decades, and it's going through a rough time right now. Twitter basically is still closed, and its um, employees can work from home forever, basically, and a lot of office workers still haven't come back. Meanwhile, the Linkage Center, now called the Tenderloin Center, keeps changing names um, that Mayor London Breed opened is right next door. So how is that affecting your ability to really bounce back? I think we are, you know, the one thing um, that we are noticing is that San Francisco is is perhaps a tiny bit slow to fully come back to mm -hmm. life after this pandemic. And I think we're seeing that it reflected in our audiences. I think people are slowly but surely more ready to come back into, into a theater where, of course, you're sat in the same room with 2,000 people. So I understand people's, um, I understand that it's taken a bit longer. But what's really encouraging is to see people that they do come back. We had a, we did a concert at the Golden Gate on, on uh, Saturday night, which was Daryl Hall, which was amazing that the audiences were, were on their feet for the whole of the evening, it was pretty much a packed house. So for me, that was such a um, that was such a moment just to think that slowly but surely we are coming back and we're going to come back really strongly for sure. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of talk, Heather, about the negative part of the neighborhood. It's actually become part of the national story, mm -hmm. the national conversation. Fox and News is into it. Right. Yeah, for sure. But not everybody talks about, you know, some of the positive things happening in this neighborhood. There's now a Whole Foods directly across from the Orpheum. Whoever thought Whole Foods would be here mm -hmm. in mid-market. Ikea's opening up down the blocks. The Trinity Complex has a great big, huge new parking garage, making it really easy and safe to get to our theater. So, yes, the city has problems like almost every big city in the country has mm -hmm. right now. And yes, in San Francisco, some of that is centered in these neighborhoods. But I think there's also a difference between perception and truth on the ground. There's a difference between uh, whether or not there's danger or whether it's just conditions of unfamiliarity that make you feel uncomfortable mm -hmm. around a situation. You know, we are very conscious of what's going on in the neighborhood, where things are happening, and we're working with the city closely in order to really make sure there are solutions, that there's safe passage for people who come to our theater. We're working with BART to make sure that BART is well protected. We're working with the police to make sure they know what time the shows get out. So there should never be a fear to come here, even though there are things happening not too far away that may not be 
uh, you know, what you were looking for in mm -hmm. a trip to San Francisco. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to come back. Um, what have you got coming up? What, what have I got to look forward to? What, what's going to be the next Lily Janik review in the Chronicle <laughs> coming from the, from the Orphea man and Golden Gate? Yeah, so we're going to be back with a, with a pretty spectacular show in June 7th, which is Hades Town. So Hades Town um, is followed quite soon after that by The Prom, Oklahoma, Moulin Rouge. Moulin Rouge is going to sit down for nine weeks which we're very excited about. It's a big blockbuster musical, which is, um, which is going to be a party. It's going to be a real party. And then we're going to go straight into our next season, which was just announced, which has got great titles like Beetlejuice and Jack Little Pill and Frozen and Six and Mean Girls and Dear Evan Hansen is coming back. So we've, um, you know, we've got this pretty spectacular season lined up for sure. Yeah, we actually have shows in all three theaters, the Kerr and the Golden Gate and the Orpheum, all the way through February in wow. each theater. So yeah, and it's worth giving a shout out to Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, which was with us at the Kerr before the pandemic, mm -hmm. has come back. It used to be, you may remember, it was a two-part version, so you'd come see the matinee and then part two was in the evening, or you saw it on two consecutive nights. Uh, during the, the pandemic, the producers made the decision to turn it into a single-part version. Uh, and it's opened really strongly in back in January. So we're very excited to, to have that. And we're going to have that throughout the year. I believe Lily Janik liked that change. She so, did. Yes. Yeah, she did yeah. very much. We got the leaping man. Uh, <laughs> well deserved, I thought. Yeah, the one you'll like, Peter, I think is Oklahoma. Yeah. It's a very dramatic retelling of the story without changing a single word. Hmm. But it's a definitely new perspective told from a much more 20th first century perspective. I loved it. I saw it in New York. I went, I went crazy for it. And uh, it, it, it definitely takes, um, it's definitely a thinking person's Oklahoma. So I know mm. I have a feeling you'd like it as a result. Are you I saying will. he's a thinking person? <laughs> and you, Heather, would like it. That's exactly what, that's exactly what he was saying. I think yeah. Peter is secretly mostly looking forward to Frozen. <laughs> I, I, I actually, this is a true story. Sorry, this is a bad tangent, but um, nothing but bad tangents on the Total SF podcast. I reviewed Frozen, and in my review, I wrote like all the songs that I liked. And then I'm like, yeah, and the big song, Let It Go, just kind of standard Disney fare. Nobody's going to be singing this. <laughs> and, you know, I see the movie before, you know, it comes out and the movie comes out. And I'm just like, every, for months, I was walking down the sidewalk and every little girl walking by me is like, let it go. <laughs> so, um, I the, the, the I shouldn't review things. That's what that's that's what we <laughs> well, came up with. Yeah, and the stage show has twelve brand new songs not seen in the movie. So okay, which yeah. allowed it to qualify for best musical, which yeah. a lot of people didn't feel it would. Now Heather, I you like <laughs> the prom, which is a really super fun story, which you never thought would be timely. Now two years ago when we saw it in New York, we thought, oh, this is a fun show about a girl who wants to bring her girlfriend to the prom. Mm -hmm. Now of course with state houses you know, closing off the LGBTQ legal rights all over the place. The prom is suddenly a, a very prescient story once again, even if it does fe feature a bunch of failed, washed up New York actors who come in to save <laughs> the day. But what's going to be really cool is we're going to do, uh, it's coming during Pride, so we're going to do a lot of stuff with the LGBTQ community. Uh, the mayor is going to come and declare it Pride Week that week, and we have a very special guest for opening night, uh, the season runner-up from this season of RuPaul. Lady Camden, who's from San Francisco, will also be there to wow. give a little greeting pre-show. Uh, 
Okay, I'm sold. I also really want to see Jagged Little Pill because my friends and I had booked tickets to go see it in New York, summer of 2020. Obviously, I that did. didn't happen. So yeah. We're gonna do a do over. You'll like just, it better. <laughs> I was just gonna suggest a double date for Jagged Little Pill, Heather. Okay. Um, we'll see. It sounds like you're going with your friends. <laughs> <laughs> you can tag along too. Well, thank you so much. This was so much fun to talk to you guys. No, it was super thank fun. Thank thank you. Thanks for coming. And thank you for the tour. This is a beautiful building. I hope people come and uh, see it. I'm going to appreciate it even more now. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Total SF is a production of the Chronicle. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community and Cable Car Bell Ringing by eight-time champion Byron Cobb. Support Total SF in the newsroom that creates it by investing in a digital Chronicle edition. It's less expensive than you think at sfchronicle.com slash pod. Welcome to Total SF, Scott Walker and Rainier Kooners. Did I get that right? No, it's Scott Walton. Scott Walton. Walton. Like John Boy. <laughs> you got, the, you got the easy one. No, you Scott got it wrong. Easy one wrong. He is bad. Man. Why did I get the easy one? Okay, Heather, <laughs> Heather you're taking over. Hold on a sec. I'm going to adjust a couple levels here anyway. So I, this is what happens on the Total SF yeah, podcast. Scott Walker. This is what happens. I'm fired now. <laughs> She's in charge. She should have been in charge from the beginning. And I'm going to just sit. I'm in timeout for the next two minutes or so. And then, hold on just one sec here. We're good. Test, test. Three, two. Go ahead, Heather. You take it. Welcome to Total SF, Scott Walton and Rainier Coon.